Hello everyone, this is Dave, and this is Aaron. And Jeff's not with us at the moment, he will appear later in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm editing together a bunch of snippets and things and recordings and cleaning out the computer system, and Aaron has graciously decided to make a reprise, or do you say reprise? I say reprise. Uh, on our show, and he's going, you may remember, he did some letters with us. How old were you then, Aaron? I believe I was 10. I'm not entirely sure. It was definitely a long time ago. A long time ago. It was in an episode long, long called Daveford and Sons. I guess Adam did a movie review of Patton in that show with me. But mm. anyway, um, it's time for Letters. Letters. <laughs> First off, we have a letter from Mark Kolensky. He says, Guys, I've been meaning to write for a while. I don't trust the recording thing and not sure I could keep my thoughts organized with it. This way, maybe you can cut out some of my whining as well. Ah, oh, we like some whining. <laughs> when you talk about recording, you mean that little button on our webpage when you click leave a recording here. Right. Interesting. Alright, first of all, congratulations on keeping a high quality podcast going on a regular basis over many years. Not many people can do that, and I guess you have another one going as well. I hope that one is at least 1% ASL. <coughs> that would be spine and sprocket. I hope you go for a long, long time. I listen even when I've had enough of ASL, which happens every six months. Let's face it, ASL may be the greatest game ever, but it is also the most ridiculous. I listen to the new episodes and have been listening on, and have also been listening from number one on. I think I am nearly finished. Oh, did you see that GMT Games got into hot water for calling their new Market Garden game Holland 44 when none of the fighting took place in Holland? It was in some other part of the Netherlands. Air Jork on BBC on BGG said none of the fighting takes place in Holland, the most western part of our tiny nation. Technically, it should be called A Bit of Brabant and Gelderland 44. Yeah, but who would know what that meant, I guess? Sounds like a mistake where the, the half squads would make on the geography mess-up. That's true. Um, yeah, BGG is a board game geek, and Herod York, Jork, you think it's York? It's Netherlandish. Ooh, I don't know. Herod York? York? I'm not very good with accents. And he sent a link. I'll try to click it onto the board game geek site. Alrighty. So now we have some whining. One, photos are art, Dave. Come on. Maybe we could all yeah. learn about that together. Yes, I taught photography as an art form. It is true. It's just that, you know, a nice painted cover to a, a game is so much nicer. Right? I like photography better. Is Aaron and Sorry. I? Oh, okay. I guess I'm part of the digital generation. <laughs> Excuse us. We both have colds, by the way, if you can't yeah. tell. And we're recording without a good mic in our my basement. Pretty obvious. <laughs> All right, number two. I still would rather have the old typing listener mail theme. Bring it back, at least once for old time's sake. A throwback show, maybe? Oh, maybe I'll put it on this one. I like that one, too. Three. It is one die and two or more dice. <sighs> Sometime you get it right. Dave is the main offender here. Oh, I, I think I know that. How would I get it wrong? Well, I guess I do. Four. What you been playing lately music? Hideous, but growing on me. That's because it's Jeff's personal performing. That's why it's hideous. But that would yes. make sense. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Five. Jeff expressed interest in the large Gold Beach scenario we were doing at Nor'easter. I posted many pics on Facebook that I large, that I took largely for him and tagged him. Tumbleweeds, like some of your listeners. Maybe I missed the response. Okay, he probably hasn't got to that yet. That sounds like a personal, I'll remind personal him. issue. Six, no shout out for me as an early Patreon supporter. Ooh, he is a little mad. I guess I didn't pledge enough, though. 
What's the threshold? My ego is crumbling. Oh, maybe we just said Mark K, but we'll definitely put you in the, this next group. <laughs> Number seven. The show nearly jumped the shark when Rich Spilkey was taken to task for toilet misuse. <laughs> okay, yes, probably. Alrighty. He says he's done whining. Oh, that wasn't such bad whining. We no. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that was enjoyable. A little comical. He says he loved the Bonsai Patreon-only bonus. He has a suggestion, too. When reviewing something or talking about a scenario or interviewing someone, it would be helpful to mention the topic a few times or at least reiterate at the end. The occasional dullness can make some of us nod off for a moment. Oh, repeat the topic or what? Reminding the listeners oh, of what we're discussing. Specifically. Yeah. Because if you're in the middle of a 45-minute show... For sure. It's, it's easy to forget. Thing. Yeah, you may hear some banging now. They're demolitioning the upstairs yeah. room. My my wife and my son, Adam. <laughs> this is quite so. the, the show. Yeah, it's crazy. Here. Yeah, we're just going crazy. All right. It may not sound like it, but I love you guys. Good work. Mark Koletsky. And he says, P.S. No more animal sound segues, Dave. I'm still having PTSD from that one. Oh, was that the one I think had dinosaurs or anim yeah, animals? Knowing you. Well, I, th I think the people really disliked the cartoon one where it had cartoon sounds, but I thought it was brilliant. But eh. I do listen to what you're saying, Mark, and I will try to avoid that. Yeah, you could have done better with that one. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, I have a letter here, but first I would like to point out to you that the Two Half Squads is brought to you by kind donations from Mark K. Thank you, Mark. As well as John B. Whoa, thank you, John. That's a most generous pledge. Jeff and I are, are really into our Patreon thing. We are hoping to really get the show financed uh, after doing, what, 170 free shows for everybody. Many, They're still many. accessible for free, I believe. Also, Mark, we're going to be doing another bonsai recording. I'm just going to go right through the issues, maybe get one done really early in this new year. Also, I'll uh, let you know that the kind donations from Sam T has pledged, and Kloss H has also pledged to keep us on the air. Thank and you. J H, also J, thank you very much. We don't use last names, so the wives don't know. Right, right. Yeah. That they're breaking into the bank for this. And I have a letter here from Grumble Jones. He says, Ken, in our other episode, Cool Cats in Korea, episode 187, talked a bit about bayonet charges. He says the last American bayonet charge occurred in Korea. Huh? Did you know that, Aaron? No. You know what a bayonet charge is? Oh, yeah. Those long, pointy things. <laughs> Knives they put on the heads of their rifles. There you go. Um, bayonets. It says, U.S. Colonel Lewis L. Millet would win the Medal of Honor for leading his final... This final American bayonet charge. Interesting. So thank you for letting us know about that, Grumble Jones. I wonder if it might appear in a um, scenario in the new Korean module due out soon. Yeah. Alrighty, and now we have a letter from Jay Harms. He says, thanks for the podcasts. Just found them over the Thanksgiving holidays. Binge listened to them while driving in West Texas so hopped on Patreon since I owed you for keeping me awake. Oh, that's sweet. Loved to hear the shout-out in episode 184 on the Texas Tourney. Great group of guys there. Also had an idea on the last scenario played. Pick a nationality. You get all counters in it. Find someone crazy enough to play you. Divide the counters however you want across every board issued. Whoever controls the most boards at the end wins. Call it World War II ASL style. I mean, this is what I did back in the SL days. Only SSR is no overlays. Well, that would be a really crazy game. It would take days to play, that I would imagine. That sounds wild. Yeah. Just taking a whole box of counters over there. Maybe he didn't mean the armor fighting vehicles. That would know. be insane. So they had those. Sounds like something you should do when you retire. <laughs> that is a great idea. Thank you, when Aaron. You need to fill and up the time. Thanks, Jay, for that suggestion, for sure. A Hong Kong war gamer chimed in with uh, really found the episode with uh, Ken Katz. Amazing. It says, looking forward to the module. And I think we all are. Also, we have a nice, lovely uh, donation from Chris B. 
That's through PayPal. It is possible to do that. He did do that monthly donation. Um, more than a dollar an episode. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate that. That's another option for our listeners. In addition, we have uh, a little letter here from Jack Dempsey. He says, Very Merry Christmas, Jeff and Dave. Another very good episode. Can it really be episode 188? It was. So many great memories. Maybe time to go back and listen to them all over again. Happy, healthy, and safe New Year. Yes, thank you very much. We appreciate the kudos. Keeps us going. We also want to point out that we are brought to you by other donations from Stephen A. Also through PayPal. One-time donation, but we'll appreciate it uh, very much. Thank you. And update on my friend Tom Barkalo, Aaron. You know he went to Florida. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say, he says, uh, from Florida, he's near Orange Park. People, listeners, you can try and get in touch with him down there. He's wanting to play some ASL. I got him all trained up in how to play. He resisted it for absolute years, and once he started, of course, as he knew he would be, he was hooked and was one of my better gamers, and I'm down him and uh, really sad about it. So I miss you a lot, Tom, out there in Florida. He says, apparently there's a well-organized group of war gamers here that run their own conventions each February. Rapier, which has a sub-convention of board games called Claymore. He says, I haven't connected up with them yet, as the FLGS they patronize is almost 40 miles from where I live. It's probably the Florida Gamer Society or something. I don't know. The fellow I spoke with on the phone said there are some ASL players in the area. Hopefully I can meet some gamers once the holidays are over. Now that I've finished unpacking and setting up my gaming area, and that is from my wonderfully good friend Tom Barkla, who you will hear from in this episode. He and I recorded a um, after-action report of a game. Great analysis coming up here. Exciting. Yeah, from Tom Barkla. And how about uh, another one here, Aaron? Aaron. Oh, I think we mentioned this last show, but here, read this anyway. Alrighty. Roy Goble says, Hi, I've seen a couple of your vids, and it's always good to see someone in mode of keeping this system alive. My question, are you aware of any clubs or groups in the Albany, New York, or New York City that have clubs or contacts for groups that get together and play this game? I have moving around a lot, finally settled in Warwick area of New York, and I'm trying to find players, and it's been very difficult. He plays with it, and he plays alone, but he wants to get back playing with people before he tries tournaments again. He says thanks again. Yep, so again, anyone from New York, please get in touch with us. We'll get you in touch with Roy, and there is a gamer society out there. I'm going to leave oh, this sure. in the starred column until I take the time to look, look that up there and let him know. Well, Aaron, I think we'll... Call that a wrap on letters. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm glad to be here. Pleasure to have you again after, since you were 10 or whatever years old last time. Yeah, a little bit younger. How old are you now? I'm 16. So let's do this more than every six years. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll make it more... uh, Every couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I'll be back. All right. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And we'd like to mention that our show is brought to you by kind support from our donors. No, not donors. Our actual patrons, Bounding Fire Productions, makers of wonderful advanced squad leader uh, materials, games, and other products. And I just want to urge you to get to Bounding Fire and give them your support, as well as we are supported by Ritterkrieg. Um Ritter Creek is a place where you can order all your ASL materials and products at very good prices. And it also they also include free shipping. So again, please support Ritter Creek and Bounding Fire Production. And now we'll go on to a little uh, is this an after action report a, that you've done? Yeah, you know, you yeah. can call on what you've been playing lately, but please don't don't no don't have to get the flu. Okay. No. Uh, or an after-action report, because okay. it's a thorough game between Tom, who, yes, he moved to Florida. He is in 
Harbor Town. No, he's in Orange Park, Florida. Listeners, if you're down there, find him. He said he's he he says a fellow I spoke with on the phone said there are some ASL players in the area. So again, anyone listeners in Orange Park, Florida, there and now it's the after action report of another pad game. Oh, excellent. From Broken Ground Productions. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. We love them over at Broken Ground. Broken Gown. Thanks, Alan. I hate when that happens. No, me too. Hey, everybody. Tom Barkalow and I have just finished Pad 1, Time is Tight, by Pete Schelling. It's the mouse pad game from uh, Broken Ground Designs. Uh, Alan, we interviewed on a show a couple shows ago, and he sent this neat little package over. Uh, we'll review it in another show also, but we're Tom and I are going to try and talk about the scenario for you. Break it down. Tom won with the Italians. Mostly by getting, um, I guess, all but one vehicle off the board. So since vehicles are... Two. I flame this one. Yeah, two. That's right. And this one's immobilized. Right. But there are seven, so that gave me five that I got off. And um, I think with the Italian morale of six, that's the only way they're going to win the game. Well, you have to have 18 victory points to give off. So if you just look at the infantry, you have 12 infantry units. And since infantry is only... um, Two victory points. Two points per squad. That's 24, which means you have to get a minimum of nine of the 12 off. And I can guarantee you, with these being Italian, you're not going to get (laughs) nine of them off. Not with the force that the Greeks have. So the Greeks have to knock the vehicles out. What do they have to knock vehicles out? They've got one artillery unit with no special ammo. But it's an 85, that's halfway decent. They've got one medium machine gun, two light machine guns, and for vehicle purposes, they're they're the same. Uh, yes, they're the same. And uh, rate of fire is better on your medium. Right. And then there is a satchel charge. Which I threw. <laughs> right. So in the game, I decided to come in and several columns adjacent to each other. And um, with my main force being on the left side of my entry area, down the road, and that's where I had the preponderance of my force. Now, he knocked out the vehicles that were on the right side. And how? I did a um, street fighting. Uh, got lucky enough to roll low enough on that. Took Immobilized a vehicle. In right. hex G11, if anyone's and looking at the board. I, I rolled and the crew stayed with it, which affected it later on because they could still shoot their machine gun on the covered arc. Yeah, but it couldn't exit. And then the other tank is flaming wreck in G10. And that was a shot from the medium machine gun, which he Snakes. Took... Snakes. Yeah. Snake eye shot. Right, it was a medium. Up yeah. in the steeple, of course, we recommend having, well, I had good placements, right? Right. Light machine gun in the steeple, medium machine gun in the steeple with the hero. Oh, shoot. I don't think he can count his neg one um, more than four hexes away. That's his yeah. normal range. I think I may have cheated, but uh, put the nine neg one up there then. Or we know Dave cheats anyway. So. <laughs> I put my artillery piece up in E17, up on the hill, double hill top. It was a trench place, right? Yeah. In a trench, which was stupid, because it could be emplaced. Right. Yeah, it would have been just as good. Why did I do that? In which case, he could put um, two trenches elsewhere and possibly block some movement paths. Yes, that could slow down the uh, Italian. I didn't think of that. I mean, as it is, we only went three turns, two and a half turns. Yeah. I was able to get six vehicles off, five vehicles off. And I was spread out with my defense, but, you know, for a turn or two, even thinking, I hope he doesn't figure out he can probably blitz right through somewhere, and I won't have enough defensive fire shots to stop him. So what I did initially was uh, he had a squad with a light machine gun hidden in hex N10, 
Now, I ran into it because I that was where the preponderance of my force. Yeah, coming down vehicle, the road. Vehicles and infantry. I mean, I just wound right up, and we wound up in a melee that went on for let's two see, turns, three melee yeah, phases. Three, yeah, yeah, three. Into Finally, the... I got enough squads in there to overpower him. Yeah, ten to two. Yeah, but he knocked out a squad early on. I did a first round. In fact, I think that's the only squad you knocked out in the game. Um, Maybe you, no, you, there was the half squads. There were some half squads. Yeah. That's right. Right. So um, the Italian comes in with a, a 45 millimeter mortar, which is crap because it doesn't shoot smoke. No, and we figure it has and to go up on maybe I, H, H. Um, yeah. Well, that's a look at the numbering system. Wait, no, that's twelve. It's no, hard I to read it. I. Um. Eight. Oh, he's. That is a strange number. Look, it's system. I eleven, ten, nine, eight. Yeah. Okay. I goes, twelve. It looks like H, but it's right. Right. Yeah, he does which have is, a higher which number. Is, so uh, maybe these pads can go together. It must be. I'll bet he's gonna. He has another one he's doing. Right. Well, you know, he gets he has that picture of breast. That breast looks so. oh, good. Right. crazy map. Anyway, broken the, ground uh, designs. So he may have ding, 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 like ding. that. So yeah, we we think maybe the mortar should be up there on that double hill because that gives it the best best view. I had put the machine gun. I deployed it in J eight, but forgot that that severely limited its arc of fire because the woods and I ten block it except for shooting at the steeple or shooting at somebody in the open straight down. Yeah, and I also think um, you can hit, if any of the battalions come on the hill, they're neg two shots if you're elevated. Right. So the steeple right. broke some guys up there. Maybe the lights could go back on this hill back here, or at a second level in the buildings. We've realized. Right, but you got. I was not in the second level or first level. Gotta cover the whole front one way or the other because of the vehicle. So if the Greek gets up in these first level buildings in F eleven and twelve, they could have seen across the hill at Neg two. And they're protecting the road. And J14 and K15. Yep, that could be up high. Yep. Um, but... Oh, and then there's K12 and K13. That would actually block it from that stone building. So they'd have to deploy in the woods. Anyway... Um, so to stop those tanks, really, yeah, the, you've got to use all the machine guns on them. And look for the street fighting advantage. Right. And uh, move up on any guys that stop. You may be able to run up on the tank if he doesn't have infantry around it. And jump in for close combat, obviously. And the art artillery piece. I think my artillery piece should have been much more effective. Did I kill any with it? No. No. Hitting them, moving, they're little. Really little. So they're... Yeah, they're hard to hit. His initial shot was a four to hit. Yeah. Plus two motion, plus two double small target. Right. So we needed an eight. Yeah, that was tough. Once you get it acquired, Tom was sitting still. Um, and probably you should target that flamethrowing tank, obviously, first. Yep, I like used them. the flame once to eliminate a dummy stack. <laughs> so I incinerated a bunch of dummies. Yeah, I had on the dummy thing. This is dummies here, too. Yeah, I figured they oh, were okay. because they never did anything. <laughs> this guy was going to advance up. You and were done after you building. prepped Adam. Yeah. And the firepower in this game is small yeah. for the Italians, right? you got to get like three squads together to get an eight shot. Right. Yeah, and and no more of... Right. Yeah, you can't get two squads, you know, two squads and the light machine Six, gun gives you an eight. eight. That might be a good combination. But if you're firing in a concealed guy... That's down to a four. Right. In a plus building, plus two or three. It was tough right. for time. It was tough. I didn't really do much. The tanks just buzzed ahead, left the infantry behind, which got slowed up by running into his infantry. But what I did was I basically took them down and, and traveled south of the steeple of the church and then just went off the board. Now, Dave 
row O. He, he, he tried tossing. I got everything in there. He got everything in there. He missed on his two machine gun shots. And then broke my medium. Yep, which hurt. Then through the DC, which is tough also because... Right. You have to get, have a lot of pluses when you toss a moving vehicle. Yeah. And he got, his guy was caught in the back blast and got DM'd. Yeah, let's see what else happened down there. You know, he, artillery piece broke itself. The artillery piece broke. And so rolled a six on the repair. He had bad luck. Of course, I'm, on the, I'm sitting on there, the, wait, you know, rubbing my hands together in glee without showing that. That's, I mean, I think it's tough for both of them. But the big thing is the Italians have to use the tanks to win. Yes. And if you eliminate enough tanks, that's it for them. The, the infantry ain't going to do it. And and rallying your Italians is going to be a real challenge also, folks. Oh, yeah. So Fours and fives. Oh, and there's nothing yeah. like winding up with a, what is that guy, a 136 half squad. <laughs> first line. Was a first line. Oh, he is a first yeah, he line. He is a first line. Somewhere I have a, here he is. I have a, a 126 conscript. And, of course, you need a four to rally him. You need a five on your good guys. Yeah, they're tough, but... I think the scenario works. I like this pad thing because it's tight and small. As soon as Tom came over, he looked at it and went, oh, that is small. Yeah. <laughs> um, you gotta... It reminds me of a Valor, Victor, Valor and Victory board. It's uh, Also, these hexes are the normal size. Yeah. You're used to my big large. ones. Right, right. And it looks shockingly little. But um, And I, I also... I'm, I like this kind of a battle... Um, without the maneuverability. I know some players don't, right? Well, you still you, have some maneuverability here. Well, I have enough to cover right. every angle. Right. So there's no big blitzing around and then I'm shifting. Well, you still the Greek doesn't need that. a reinforcement group in the middle no. to swing left or right because you're going to be able to do that anyway. Right. So that part of it is tight. But I can't see using this as a mouse pad. You're sitting there working on your stuff. You start looking at the map. Hmm, maybe if I put a machine gun here. Hmm, this would be a great place for an ATG. You know? Yeah, maybe. Just be a bit too distracting. <laughs> maybe that is true. Um, yeah, what else about it? Um, it's basically a village hex. That's the way I view it. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're you're trying to go Plow through, through the, village. the village, right? And, hey, uh, it's like into the rubble. Yeah, it, and it felt kind of like those games where you're getting a uh, lots of people in a closer space, kind of thing. Um, and I don't think I told you, Tom, but tonight Rick Callender's coming over, and I think we're playing Pad Two. Pad two to quicken the dead. Five and a half turns because he'll be tired after his work day. Yep. Um, so there you go. I guess we're. And of course, Dave, being the gamer dude he is, won't be phased at all. I'll have a couple beers, you know, game this afternoon. Just game roll tonight. off of him. Game tonight. Well, I'm glad they're both short, right? Yes. It's kind of also, I wanted to definitely jump into these. Hey, the last game we played, fun. those two turns seemed like a dozen. Oh, God, I can't believe how bloody they were. And I, t we t I talked about that one, folks, on episode 182, which posts today, actually. Um, so you can hear the, kind of the talk about that. Yeah, they had all the, the Americans coming out of that stream bed and the smoke and the more and the OBA. Oh, and the... They have such strong firepower. I mean, the Germans had some too, but God damn, I couldn't believe it. All right, so we'll sign off. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, that was good. All right, I'm going to say it was good because I, I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I'm sure it's good. It's, I'm sure that's it, excellent. It was, Dave. yeah. Tom, yeah. Tom does a great job, and yeah. we'll miss him sorely down yeah, there in will. Florida, everybody. Yeah. 
And now, everybody, I thought I'd bring you a closer look at from the Cellar Pack 8, as I promised on the last show. I got to read it over the break there for me, the holidays, and really enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Not just saying that. And the first article up here is the... Oh, mine got a little wet in the bottom. So Lonely Under the Cross of Lorraine by Philippe Nod. Philippe Nod. On the Free French Forces. I did a little highlighting there of this part. On the 15th of July, out of 236 ships and 11,500 sailors of the French National Navy still present in British ports, only one ship and 900 men opted to side with de Gaulle. The situation was slightly better with the army with 200,000 men no, 2,000 men from the colonies likewise can be added to this total, including half a colonial infantry battalion on Cyprus, then a British colony. By mid-August, there were only 4,500 men who were prepared to join. The Vichy regime, that's to join the Free French, the Vichy regime, sensing danger, was quick to set up laws to discourage dissidents, in quotes. Further measures were also taken. For example, the propellers of the planes in North Africa were removed and trustworthy officers were sent to replace the ones that were suspected of being tempted by the free French adventure. So I didn't quite realize, you know, there was this coarse resistance from Vichy France against the free French. Obviously, I guess they're trying to appease Hitler, and it wouldn't look too good if they were encouraging the free French out there, and that there weren't that many to start off with. I didn't know that historical lesson. Later in the article, uh, the author talks about Operation Menace. It brings peaceful opera- uh, reading, quote, Operation Menace brings peaceful operations to a full stop. The next conversions are obtained by force, like in Gabon in 1940. Despite the will to avoid bloodshed on the Free French side, both sides have several soldiers killed before the Vichy forces lay down their arms. And so that then he talks about these uh, conflicts between the two sides. And goes on a little further in. Uh, one, still, one cannot ignore the irony of these new free French forces, which, while rallying under the values of, the Repu- of republicanism and French democracy, employ mainly personnel who do not have French citizenship. Senegalese, Moroccan, Algerian, and so on. All in all, the amount of forces made available in these territories is quite small due to the lack of equipment, lack of officers, many refusing to join the dissidents, and last but not least, the necessity to continue policing the colonies themselves. And so he's pointing out that a lot of these troops were in the Free French were not French, per se. And then goes on African, uh, Lebanon, talking about it. Now these next pages... Our, the, the picture is done on page 8 and 9 over a photograph. The writing is over the photograph. Too difficult to read. So I do have one criticism there. It's a great article, but really too difficult to read. So in the future, LFT, you may want to be aware of that. Probably someone else brought that to your attention by now. Uh, and the article says that... Um, Bir Hakim still marks a major success for Free French. The media coverage of the siege in the world press, including Occupied France, gives the event world recognition. The Gaullists' prestige reaches unknown heights while the Vichy reputation tanks. This is no fight against Italians in unknown African regions. And so on. Okay, Talking about how the Free French are gaining popularity and... Um, not advertising, but uh, becoming more well-known. And it is around this later time that the Force L reaches Tunisia. There it's equipped with modern equipment and is reinforced with with the Sacred Squadron, a company of Greek troops mounted on armed jeeps. The whole unit is then attached to the FFFC, talking about how the unit's growing... Uh, the author points out it's politically important to beat General Girard's African army and maintain de Gaulle's status in France. Tunisia is the last campaign of the Free French. Because later, discontinuing the small FAFL and the NFFL, de Gaulle's Free French have hardly 13,000 men for Girard's 
75,000 men in the African army for Tunisia only in May 1943. So as this story goes on, eventually a lot of these uh, the Free French forces are uh, absorbed into this uh, larger force, and uh, I don't know, it, it sounded like no longer really existed. Uh, he ends the article saying it's, Impossible to negate the role played by the Free French when analyzing the French contribution to the war and France's position within the Allied powers. Despite a weak number of troops, Free France, France established a legitimate Republican independent French presence side by side with the Allies, at times quite pervasive. For never in the history of France had there been more political soldiers than the Free French, and none more so than the likes of de Gaulle or Leclerc, the latter liberating Paris in August 1944 with the second. DB and entering Strasbourg in November of that year. And so that's how the Free French article ends. Taking a closer look at this Panzer Brigade 1944 article. Very historical um, article. I learned a lot. I never really heard about these Panzer Brigades other than seeing their name probably in scenarios or maybe they were mentioned in histories I've read, I'm sure, but Never stop to think about how it's different than any other tank organization uh, held by the Germans in World War II. The philosophy, uh, quoting this article by Rod Bruins, Bruins, the philosophy behind these brigades is that smaller but stronger tank units could maneuver and counteract swifter than cumbersome tank divisions, which can be easily detected by enemy intelligence. Nevertheless, when Hitler ordered the creation of the Panzer Brigades in July of 44, they were rather born out of necessity than as a new defense doctrine of the German armed forces. And he's saying the creation of the Panzer Brigades happened in the aftermath of the onslaught of Army Group Center. Their formation was ordered on July 24, 1944, and ten brigades were planned Hitler issued this order personally and against the advice of Heinz Guderian, inspector of the German tanks. He, According to Guderian, the creation of panzer brigades would hinder the replacement of losses at the front and, above all, the necessary refitting of the worn-out panzer divisions. And so Guderian did not think this was a good idea to create these smaller, more maneuverable brigades. Later on page 15, I highlighted that a typical example of a Panzer Brigade built up is the formation of Panzer Brigade 105. It was formed around the approximately 950 survivors of the smashed Panzer Grenadier Division 18. The tank battalion was mainly made up from tank training units who were sent to a specific training course for the Panther tank. The brigade received about 50 Panther, 11 Panzer IV, and approximately 100 armored personnel carriers. On September 1st, the brigade was hurriedly sent to Belgium after just one month of training. And that's going to be an issue for these brigades. They're not going to be well trained enough to be as effective as they could have been. Later, he says, page 16, Hitler gave away Panzer Brigade 106 for 48 hours. Knobelsdorf had his armored fist. His plan was to attack the exposed flank of the U.S. 90th Infantry Division north of Theonville. Nobelsdorf and Bakke, Bakke, German name, of course, were both seasoned officers who gained a lot of experience in Russia. They were confident that an armored blow on the exposed flank and deep infiltration within American ranks would cause enough panic to make their units collapse and run like the Russians would in similar circumstances. And now he's giving the his history of each of these individual panzer brigades here. This is Brigade 106. Well, in the end, uh, at, the, at the end of its first day of combat, Panzer Brigade 106 was routed and had lost most of its tanks and infantry in the process. At least 750 men were taken prisoner by the Americans. And 21 tanks and tank destroyers of the initial 47 were permanently lost, next to more than 60 half-track carriers. It lost three-quarters of its combat effectiveness and ceased to exist as a unit capable of offensive operations, which was its whole point in the first place. 
Well, and next up is Panzer, Panzer Brigade 112. He gives a nice history of that. There's full page diagrams of the, uh, what do you call it, the OB, OB of the layout of a brigade made up of what kind of tanks and the number and all. You know, and the military symbols for infantry, cavalry, and so on. Using the NATO symbols. And a 1944 Panzer Brigade, or Panzer Grenadier Battalion, also laid out in its formation on a full page for use, for your use and knowledge. Uh, Panzer Brigade 107 is also mentioned here, and, and then 111 and 113 runs down the history of those forces. Again, really a, a good read, enjoyable read. Um, very good uh, learning tool for, for me. And, you know, in conclusion, I think his summary idea was that the overall effectiveness of them were a failure from the start. Without proper training and time for building up the unit, it stood no chance on the battlefield, especially against experienced foe, especially when they enjoyed artillery support and air superiority Attacks subsequently failed far from reaching the objectives and often led to horrific losses leading to destruction. In the end, the surviving Panzer Brigades helped to bolster the defense in their sector but posed no real threat against the Allies. I think they found the Americans were much tougher than they anticipated also in that article. Next up was the article by Pierre Kaiser, Kaiser and he went to the Tank Museum in Kobinka, a suburb of Moscow. It has some nice photos. Boy, lots of really cool ASL tanks in there. Well, ASL tanks, World War II tanks that ASLers might thoroughly enjoy to see. I'm enjoying the pictures. Uh, apparently he got in there into Russia and got back out alive. Um, then there's the uh, interview with Psycho whose actual name is, I didn't highlight it, so I can't find it now. It's a question to Psycho by Xavier, Javier, Xavier Vitri. Always fun to read questions and answers to an ASLer. And the next article was the Features of the Conf Group Sharer map. Again, this is the game LFT put out. Had a winter map as well as a summer kind of map. And they are both a bit different based on the historical damage done to uh, the town and so on. Uh, I'll read here from page 34. In the early stages of KGS development, Thanks to the efforts of Keith Spurlock, who convinced Andy, who well, at first was not certain the community would take to a winter-looking map, it was decided that there would be a winter map featuring snow and the effects on the Russian winter. Thanks to the artistic efforts of Jean-Luc Behonach, the team conducted reviews of color schemes to achieve the desired wintry effect. Further benefit to this project was that Jean Jean-Luc Jean-Luc was able to supply the playtesters with full-color playtest maps, enabling them to enjoy the proper landscape throughout the project. As play progressed, Xavier Vitri made the decision to print a second map available for the fighting that took place after the snow melted. It was decided this would be called the summer map, despite no scenarios actually taking place in the summer. The other important decision regarding this map was to show the further deterioration of the town of Colm, or do you say Cholm, from the winter months to the summer. And he does run down some of the rules that you'll be playing with and what to look for as you play these scenarios. Gets me excited to break that game out, which I have not done yet. So much ASL, so little time. Uh, for example, as to the weather tables, there are two additions that should be noted. The first condition is becoming overcast. This is also affected by the purchase of a weather report. If the report is purchased, and as for a campaign game, 
If a report is purchased and becoming overcast is rolled, then either one or both players will know before purchases on what turn the sky will turn overcast. Otherwise, the change in weather will be rolled on each turn of the campaign game date. Obviously, this can affect the purchases of assets for the next date and another strategic consideration. Thus, addition, the, the second addition is gusty. This simply makes it easier for gusts to occur based on the wind die roll. I love the idea of gusty, because you think about it. How often does a gust just blow up out of nowhere? You're walking down the street, a gust takes your hat off, like Frosty the Snowman. Um, blows it down the street. So yeah, gusty. It should be gusting a bit, quite a bit, if it's a blustery day, like Winnie the Pooh had to live through. So there's also, again, uh, uh, talking about blocks and sectors, the way the map is divided up. Um, kind of like, I think that was happening on the uh, Arnhem game. I forget whose Arnhem game. If it was the official MMP or the critical hit or whatever one. But talking about the topography, um, crossing this river apparently you need rafts at some point i think it's just for refit phasing so i don't think it'll come into play in the game a lot but there's the little canals there's one lane bridges and this really breaks down the terrain you got dirt and paved roads and debris and culverts and how these basically work in in the game so this article would be helpful to anyone planning to play conf group share themselves. Uh, the next part of the article talks about buildings. First noticeable impression is that from winter map to the summer map, the buildings change or disappear completely. This reflect, uh, reflects the continuing effects of German and Ru Russian artillery and the battles that occurred as a result. Uh, in the interim between the two campaign games, on the summer map, map gutted buildings are introduced those who play valor of the guards rule 7.1 certain aspects uh, that they retain special attributes found in the campaign or the conf group shear rules is that introducing wooden gutted buildings rubble appears of course on the map they give it a nag one terrain bonus cellars are present in multi-hex non-factory buildings uh, much like red Barricades. Um, uh, despite the theory that communist Russia did not approve of religion, there are four churches in Kolm, or is it Cholm? Uh, plus the Juden Temple, must be a synagogue, which was actually a church prior to the Russian Revolution. They have steeple markers, and there's little differences to those listed here. Also talks a little about the buildings that are important in the game. There's a prison that apparently is a critical building to own and to control. Um, and here, an interesting uh, historical uh, note that during the research of the battle, it was discovered that a favorite tactic of the Russians was to fire tracer bullets into thatched roofs of the houses to start a fire and deny Germans the warmth and protection that a building provided. This means every wooden building with three or more separate building depictions is an isba, I-S-B-A. These are buildings in all respects, except they are more subject to becoming rubble due to neg one dial modifier to all high explosive attacks greater than 70 and are subject to creation of flame. From small arms or machine gun, Attacks with a color die roll of one. This rule is similar to huts. Those of you that have played the Pacific and played the huts. The article continues talking about the combatants. As noted, there are many features of the Colm battlefield that make this an interesting experience. During early development, there was plenty of discussion regarding the forces. How do we handle Germans in extreme weather with little ammunition and surrounded? At the same time, we had to decipher the attacks made by the Russians and determine why they were not successful. It was obvious that the Germans performed above the normal expectations of a small mixed force um, exposed to these circumstances, and that the Russians did not perform well in eliminating the threat of the small German force. And so it goes on to talk about the army characteristics. 
very quickly, it says, on up to page 41 now, very quickly one notes there's a lack of anti-tank guns in the German order of battle. This combined with no armor can make stopping the Russian tanks difficult. Good news is the most common Russian armor can fall prey to an anti-tank rifle or machine gun. There's still the occasional Matilda, KV, or T-34 entering the fray. Make sure you pay attention to this rule that allows Germans to have grenade bundles, Molotov cocktails, and the pack 35-36 has heat, high explosive anti-tank. The grenade bundles act like 1944 ATMM, except it only neg two on close combat attack. Still, a squad and a leader that successfully roll for a grenade bundle immobilizes an armor fighting vehicle on a die roll of eight, or six if that vehicle's in motion. And the Molotovs are only available to Germans when they attack an AFV, but at least allows them to make an attack when the vehicle's moving. Now, due to a post on one of the ASL Internet forums by J.R. Van Mechelen, we saw the possibility to incorporate a conversion of the German heavy machine gun to a medium machine gun. But the reverse is not allowed. There are three times that this can occur. First during the fire phase, second during the movement phase, third during the route phase. And any fire phase, this occurs in the same manner as dismantling a weapon. So, I'm, right, I understand historically the machine guns were the same. You just added a scope or a tripod and made it a much more effective machine gun so it's kind of interesting to see that in the rules and wrapping the article up here one of the interesting aspects of comp group share is the removal of prisoners either off map or to a prisoner collecting area both sides have some capability in this area when the entire map is in play for the Germans they may escort prisoners to block 17, 18, 19 which is a group of buildings or to hex T31 or Y36. If this occurs, then the prisoners count double their combat victory points. If the entire map is not in play, then the prisoners may be escorted off a friendly edge, as long as it's not a cliff or frozen river, obviously. In these cases, that friendly edge depends upon where the scenario takes place. Uh, then, uh, the last page, uh, during the battle... One of the strategic goals for the Russians was to deny the Germans shelter, especially during the winter months. So, you can now target buildings with OBA. That's an, a good thing, too. You, uh, during the project, we found the Russian units and he, he used human wave regularly as a tactic to gain the initiative in battle. Concern became apparent in playtest of the reluctance of players to use the human wave tactics to enhance interest and create the historical feel of playing the Russian a rule was created for a bonus upon the completion of a human wave. Enables the Russian player to battle hard in a unit or a role for creation of a leader as a way to try and entice you into human waving it. Then there's another article by uh, Alexandre Ruz Le Coder on Board 55. So it's really a lot of like ASL jargony talk. I won't read any of it. Other than it, it allows you to really play out the scenario in this magazine up the Leary Valley. Uh, and of course any any game. But there's some tricky things to the terrain there. And so it's a good article on that. Last is the historical issue by Lionel Colin. Colin Colin talks about the first liberation of Lunaville, because they have a lot of these scenarios in this pack uh, taking place there. And uh, the German counterattack, and it of course lists like you know this is the scenario, Loon Three cavalry delaying action, and gives the historical background in order of the scenarios, and talks about the aftermath, also. And page fifty-eight pretty much wraps up the issue with the Ghosts of Luneville campaign. Uh, says once again, Lionel did great research job, and the whole crew spent several days play testing sessions into the development of these scenarios. Rather than running into the full concept of a campaign game, Lionel submitted the idea to have several linked scenarios, such as these, appear from time to time in some ASL magazines, like Pete Schelling's scenarios being our favorites, is talking as LFT. So he says, uh, interestingly, the author Lionel says, 
four years ago, I finally found on the internet a photo of an M8 in a French city in September 1944, and I recognized this place. It was not far from my primary school, and in the background stood the wall of a factory where my father had worked for 30 years. So he said it was very hard to find information on Lunaville, and then he finally came upon some. Now, the result here is a series of linked scenarios, which place you in command of either the remnants of 15th Panzergrenadier Division Garrison Lunaville, along with the powerful 111th Panzer Brigade, or in command of the 2nd Cav Group in the 4th Armored, screening the flank of the attack by 12th Corps against the city of Nancy. And I'm happy with the final version, and now I think I know what that old tank that rested near my house and me and other children used to climb on some 40 years ago. It was a Sherman from the 4th Armored Division, destroyed on the 18th of September, 1944. So this author personally knows this t- terrain. And then he runs down the uh, way to play these scenarios as a linked campaign and has a chart that is variable OB options available to each player. So if you the effect of lo- winning or losing a scenario by a large margin has a knock-on effect over the course of the next scenarios as listed in this following table. So for example... Uh, if the first scenario, German win with the U.S. controlling less than four buildings, then you remove an M8 Greyhound and replace a U.S. 667 with a 347 half squad in the start of the next scenario's forces. For another example, after the second scenario being played, let's say the U.S. wins with the Germans controlling less than two buildings, then you replace two 468s with two 467s and remove the SDKFZ-231, the half-track from the start of the German OB. So then that affects the German forces. And so, yeah, that's nice, you know, makes it all linked. Uh, Also then on page 52, there are, oh, options that I think, what did this say? That you pick at the start of the game. As campaign balance, well, they have their own campaign balance there. Yeah, and then there's options for both the Germans and the Americans. For example, like, and there's partisans here too, as we mentioned other show last show. Civilian interrogations in effect for the Allies who are in friendly territory. Only five buildings are needed to win. It's an option for the partisan types. And then cavalry options. Add an M18 that enters. Or German options for each of the scenarios. Uh, like Loon 4. Exchange a Pack 40 for a Jagdpanzer 4. And so on. Well, page 53 has a little article, Call to Arms, and giving you a show of the Kohima map being made uh, by Steve Deathlison, um, the Amiens map, the Warsaw map, which I think is an LFT product. It's a huge project. On the left, it shows the western half nearly finished and below the whole map with the Vistula. Vistula on the right side, if everything goes well, they hope to release it within two or three years. It's nice to get a little preview of that. Yeah, and then page 54, wrapping the whole magazine up, is um, a bibliography. Some of the books that have been used for this issue from the seller on uh, the Free French and uh, the, so on in all the articles. So, all right, that wraps up my more in-depth look of From the Cellar, Pack 8. And I think that's going to be a show. Almost an hour here. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate you contest enterers. Dave, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Jeff. You do. Thanks for what you do for us. And remember to roll low. And rally well. 
but, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Yeah, 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 not at all. You know what I mean. Yeah, not good See you next time. We're going to be talking more about ASL and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.